<laughs> you came. <laughs> it is awesome to see you right here, right now. We are on the verge of a new land, right? We are crossing the Jordan today, and I'm so glad to welcome you here. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors. If it's your very first time, welcome. We're going to be going into our time of teaching in just a minute. Inside your program is a message note sheet. It's shorter than normal, but don't get your hopes up. Um, <laughs> It actually will be shorter today because we're doing some other things on this first uh, kind of maiden voyage, inaugural voyage of this, uh, this journey together. And so it's so good to see you. If you guys are ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we are here. We're excited about you. We're excited about what you're doing. Lord, we're the first to acknowledge this is not about a building. This is about you. Without you, this is just a shell. Uh, but when you come, when you fill it, when you speak, when you lead, when you heal, it it becomes a temple. It becomes a place of your presence. It becomes a place of proclamation. It becomes a, name, a place where your name is made great and where people come to know you and come to seek you. And so God, today as we come and we come to seek the presence, we seek the proclamation, we pray that you be with us every step of the way from this point on. You've already sensed your presence and you will be with us the whole time until the end. And we pray this in Christ's name and all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Hey, well, uh, today we're taking a break from our normal series, and so if you are brand new, we're in the midst of a series right now uh, on the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. It's called the Genesis Chronicles, and we'll go back to that next week, but this week as we come into this brand new uh, facility and we step in this new era uh, of our life as a church, I wanted to bring a special message. And so for those of you who've been here uh, a while, you know that about two years ago, that we shared as kind of, a, as I mentioned in the video, we share with you this vision that we believe God had given us as a leadership team. And the vision really had two separate parts. I, I compared it to two separate streams that were coming together to form one mighty river. And so the first stream and the first part was uh, this call from Jesus to join him in some new ways uh, in his mission, which he defines in Luke chapter 19 is to seek and save lost people, Right. And then the second part was to enlarge and refresh our campus. We were running out of room. And to enlarge and refresh our campus, so we had room for the people God would bring and the people he was already uh, bringing to Rocky Peak. And so uh, if you're here in the fall of 2012, uh, I did a series uh, called The Assignment. It was nine weeks long. And one of the things we did in that series, what does it look like to join with Jesus and, and kind of reaching out to lost people? What does it look like to enlarge and, uh, and refresh our, our campus? And one of the things we saw is that throughout history, God often calls his people at certain times to create space for him, to create a place where they can meet with him, where he can speak and lead and guide, uh, and then to create a, a space where people who don't know God can come and hear and, and learn about him and their lives be transformed and they can become followers. And so in that fall, one of the passages we looked at was in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And it was a passage, uh, it was a time where this is one of those times in the history of Israel where God put it in the heart of King David. Uh, he had just solidified his kingdom. Uh, he had moved the capital to Jerusalem. Uh, and so he felt like God was putting in his heart to create a space for the nation to meet with God. And uh, up to that point in their, in their lives, for the last 400 years, they'd been meeting with, a God, uh, with God in a place called the Tent of Meeting. And uh, it was this place where uh, God had commanded Moses 400 years before, special tent, we'll talk about it later, and that's where they've been meeting. And so what God put in David's heart was this vision of what if we created uh, a special temple, a place to meet with God that's more permanent. And so uh, it was this amazing scene that we unpacked back in October of 2012, 
where David goes before the leaders of the nation and he shares this vision of what this will be like and, and all the, the top political leaders, the military leaders, the cabinet members, um, the, uh, his personal bodyguards, some of the top warriors are there and he casts his vision and then he challenges them and he says, hey, listen, God's put this in my heart. Here's what I'm doing financially to make this, turn this dream into a reality. Uh, here's what I'm gonna give from the government to make that happen. I wanna call on you as the leaders to join me in this vision uh, so we can together turn the vision to reality. And so they responded strongly and so they, they began this journey. And if you were here in the fall of 2012, we, we shared that with you, and I asked you to do the same thing. I said, would you go home and seek God? We believe this vision's from the Lord, but we want you to go. We want you to pray. We want you to ask God, is, is he calling you to be a part of this vision, just like those leaders? And would you ask him, if so, what does he want you to give over and above your normal giving for the next three years to help turn this vision into a reality? And you came back, and you made your commitments, and you have given generously, and we have worked hard, and here we are. We are here today <laughs> in the vision reality. And so what I want to do today is I want to go back in time and go to the rest of the story. We started two years ago in October. We started that story in 1 Chronicles 29, where David cast the vision. The people caught the vision. They began to build. And then we want to go back and see what happened. So if you have your Bibles there, uh, there in your note sheet, there's a section called the assignment looking forward. And what I want you to do is take your Bibles and turn to 2 Chronicles Chapter 5, if you've got your apps, you can go ahead and turn those on. And uh, we're going we're gonna to see what happens. But, but as you're turning there, let me set it up. So here's the scene. David has cast the vision. The people have caught the vision. It's now seven years later. During those seven years, they have planned. They have purchased materials. They have begun to build. They've laid foundations. In the meantime, David has passed on, gone to be with the Lord. Solomon, his, king, his son, has now taken the throne. And so it's seven years later, and now it's time to dedicate this new uh, temple to the Lord. And so catch this. When they first came out of Egypt, when the nation of Israel first came out of Egypt, um, God uh, came to the people at Mount Sinai. And he, he kind of came with like a marriage proposal. And he, he revealed himself at Mount Sinai. He said, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. It was like a man proposing to a wife, so to, to, to a, a woman, so to speak. And they said, I do. We want in. And so um, God gave them the Ten Commandments with sort of like the ten kind of, kind of rules of their relationship. Here's how it's going to work. And, uh, of course, Moses goes up on the hill, right? And so he's going to go up on the mountain for 40 days. And while he's in there, while he's gone, uh, they're going to uh, you know, disobey. And we'll come back to that later. But one of the things that he says uh, when, when he comes back is that God says, listen, uh, if we're going to get married, so to speak, we need to move in together. You live in a tent. I want to live in a tent. I want you to build me a very special tent. We're going to put it right in the center of the nation. We're going to call it the tent of meeting. This will be the place where I meet with you. And, and we're going to put it right in the center, three tribes to the north, three to the south, three to the east, three to the west. Uh, and I want to move in. And so they, they, they kind of built that tabernacle, right? And so for the last 400 years, that's where they've been worshiping God. And now it's time to move from the tabernacle, from the tent of meeting, and to take the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings up to Temple Mount, where the new temple has been built. Now, for those of you who've been to Israel, uh, we, we did this a couple times this year, you'll remember this. Remember we went through Hezekiah's tunnel, underground, 1,500 yards uh, through the water up to our thighs, and, and we, kinda, we went through there, and we came out of Hezekiah's tunnel, and we came out at the Pool of Siloam. The pool of Siloam is where Jesus healed the blind man, but in David's time, it was part of the city of David. 
And if you were there, you remember it's 900 steps from the Pool of Siloam up the mountain to Mount Moriah where the temple would be built. And today where the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall is there, or today where uh, the Dome of the Rock is there on Temple Mount, Mount Moriah. And so what they needed to do is they needed to take the temple furnishings and the tent of meeting, and most importantly, the Ark of the Covenant. They needed to take the Ark of the Covenant from the tent of meeting up Temple Mount and and install it at the new temple. Now, most of you are probably familiar with the the Ark because you've seen the movie, right? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, (laughs) And then there's three of you who've read your Bibles. Uh, And so... uh, uh, this ark, right, God commands Moses, build this ark. We're going to put the Ten Commandments in it, uh, kind of the terms of our relationship. It's going to be four feet long. It's going to be two feet wide. It's going to be two feet high. These are approximate. And we're going to put a gold, we're going to cover it in gold. And on the top, there's going to be these two cherubim that are facing one another. And so you have cherubs, right, like, like these angelic beings. Uh, in Hebrew, im is plural, so cherubim. And there are these two winged, winged uh, angelic creatures facing one another uh, on the top of the ark. Now, why are they facing one another? Because God had said, don't make any images of me because any image will limit and give the wrong impression of who I am. And so, but, but the cherubim are like angels facing one another. And what that's representing is that God is in the middle, like in the unseen space. The presence of God is there. And so this is the place where uh, the high priest would go into the most holy place of the temple, the innermost compartment, holy of holies, and once a year he would take the blood of the, the, the bull and the goat and make atonement for the people. He put the blood on top of the mercy seat, on top of the ark. It was there that God said to Moses, from there I will speak to you. So the ark was the holiest uh, item, uh, piece in all of Israel. And it represented the presence of God. And so, so what's happening in this scene is that they're going to move the Ark of the Covenant and all the furnishings. They've got this big parade, big procession. Solomon's going to lead the way. The Levites are going to be carrying, the priests are going to be carrying up the, the Ark. And so the, the, one of the tribes of Israel was uh, called the tribe of Levi. There's 12 tribes. One of them was, was Levi. So think of that as an umbrella, the tribe of Levi Within the tribe of Levi, one of the families is the family of Aaron. Aaron is the high priest. So to be a priest, you, you have, it's not just, from the, you're not just from the tribe of Levi, you have to be from the line of Aaron. But not all Levites, right, are from the line of Aaron. There's many other families. So the Levites are like special assistants to the priests. Um, some of the Levites are musicians and worship leaders. That all comes to bear, uh, comes to bear today. And so they're having this huge procession. Solomon's leading the way. It's a time of, they're bringing God to the temple. Are you with me? They're bringing God to the temple. This is what's going on here. Uh, 400 years before when they built this tabernacle, we'll talk about it earlier, the presence of God had fallen on this place. And so now they're, they're basically taking the ark up and they're saying, God, would you come now? You fill that place. Will you fill this new place? Because we want your presence. And so we're going to be jumping in there. This all takes place in the seventh month of the year uh, at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? So if you have your Bibles, let's jump in now. In chapter 5, and verse 2, it says, So Solomon summoned to Jerusalem all the elders of Israel. So all the VIPs are going to be there, all the heads of the tribes, the chiefs of the Israelite families, to bring up the the ark of the Lord. Remember, Lord, all caps is Yahweh, Yahweh's covenant from Zion, from the city of David. It's a big scene. You know, it's, it's like a presidential inauguration. All the, the key leaders are there. 
And so in verse 3, all the men of Israel came together to the king at the time of the festival in the seventh month. And so when the elders of Israel had arrived, the Levites, we talked about them, they take the ark, and they brought up the ark and the tent of meeting, we talked about that, and all the sacred furnishings in it. And so the priests who were Levites, remember not all Levites are priests, but all priests are Levites. So the priests who were Levites carried them up, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him went before the ark in this procession, and they're sacrificing sheep as along the way, as many sheep and cattle as they could not be recorded or counted. So the priests, and they bring the ark of the Lord's covenant to the place of the inner sanctuary of the temple. They come to this new temple, they install the ark in the temple, uh, in, in the Holy of Holies, in the most holy place, and they put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. And so here's what had happened, is that, remember, on the top of the ark are the cherubim. But, but uh, everything in the temple is bigger than in the tent of meeting. It's, everything's just like on a grand scale. And so uh, Solomon commissions two huge cherubim to be uh, built. They're, uh, they're made out of olive wood. They're covered in gold. They have a wingspan of 15 feet. Right? So you're going to put two of these side to side. It's going to be 30 feet long. And they're going to go all from wall to wall in the inner in the inner holy of holies, and they're going to be overlooking, protecting, guarding the ark of the covenant. Right? And so they they take it in there, and you've got these um, the the cherubim that are there. And verse eight, the cherubim spread their walls over the place of the ark. They covered the ark and its carrying pole. Skip down to verse eleven. So in verse eleven, the priests then withdrew from the holy place. Uh, so they're going to back out of the holy place. They're going to go outside. Now, everyone's moving outside now. So, so the camera shot, we're going from inside the temple. We're now moving outside the temple. And outside the temple, uh, in the courtyard, is this huge bronze altar. Now, when I say huge, it's 30 feet square. Okay, 30 feet. It's like 10 yards. Think football, right? Okay, 30 feet by 30 feet and 15 feet high. So to offer a sacrifice, you're going to take this, this uh, lamb or this bull, and they have a, then you have a big ramp that goes up, and they're going to have to roll this thing up uh, to the top, 15 feet above, and offer this. And so they're going to go out there, and they're going to be offering their first sacrifices, dedicating this to the Lord. And of course, all this is, all this is about, God, will you come? God, we're coming. This is your, your place, so would you come? Would you fill this place? Because without your presence, it's just a building. And so they... Uh, so in verse 11, the priests withdrew, and all the priests who were there had consecrated themselves, uh, regardless of their divisions. And the Levites who were musicians, so some of the Levites were musicians, Asaph, uh, you may recognize his name from the Psalms, he wrote many Psalms, Heman, Jeduthun, and their sons and relatives, they stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen, representing purity. And so they're on the east side of the altar, so if you can kind of picture this, I don't know what direction I am here, but let's say uh, the altar's in front of me, I'm a priest. The altar's in front of me. They're on the east side of the altar. The temple is on the far side of the altar. So between them and the temple is the altar. Why? Because you can't enter the presence of God without atonement, right? And just like today, like we can't enter into the presence of God apart from Jesus. He's the one, the ultimate sacrifice. So they're standing there offering their sacrifice, and they're praying that God would come and meet with them so they can experience the presence of God. So the presence of God will come. And so while they're there, now they're going, to begin to, uh, they're going to begin to do some worship. This is just the leaders, the Levites. So it says they're, they're dressed in fine linen. They're playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They're, they're accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. And the trumpeters and the singers, they join in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord, to Yahweh. And accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and other instruments like 
bass guitars and electric guitars and drums. They raised their voices in praise to Yahweh, and they sang, he is what? Good. Let's say it together. He is what? He is good, and his love endures what? Forever. So he is good, and his love endures forever. And some of you might say, I, I think I've heard that before. Yes, you have. It's one of the top 40 in Israel at the time. This is why when you read through Psalms, you come to a Psalm and they'll be like, there's, there's one Psalm that just goes on for the so- whole Psalm. It's like, you know, the, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Yeah. Amen. You know, hey, let the sons of Aaron say the Lord is good. All right. Okay, let's let these people say it. All right. And it's just the whole Psalm's like that, right? So this was a top 10 hit. Now you say, why is it so popular? Well, the reason it's so popular, it goes deep back into Israel's history. So I want to do a quick sidebar here so you can understand what's going on. When the nation of Israel first came out of uh, Egypt, they camp at Mount Sinai. God comes. I want relationship. Like, like a bride to a groom, right? Like he's the groom, he's the bride. That Israel is going to be his lover, his, his wife. And he proposes, I will be your God, you'll be my people. The people say, yes, we want in. And she said, okay, well, here are the terms of our relationship. You know, no other lovers, no other gods, number one. No, no, idol, no idols, number, number two, right? He's just defining the relationship. And the people say, yes, we want in. And so afterwards, they're so terrified of the presence of God that's so powerful. They say to Moses, why don't you go up and get the fine details? Get the rest of get the small print, this contract. And so Moses is gone for 40 days. And a lot of you know that while he was gone, they're up there like, what happened to him? Last time we saw the mountain was smoking like crazy. He probably got burnt to a crisp. We needed, we need, we needed something else going on here. And they say, yeah, let's, let's build a God and let's follow that God. And they build the golden calf. So they violate the first two rules, right? No other gods and idolatry. And so God's really ticked off. And he tells Moses, why don't we just destroy them and start over? They have just been a pain in the neck last three months, I'm telling you, let's destroy them, we'll start over with you. And he's like, God, don't do that. Please don't do that. These are your people. They're called by your name. What happened to your name? The fame, people will flock. You know, we're on the streets. Headline's not going to be good. God rescues them and kills everyone. You know, it's just like, so God, don't do that. And so God said, okay, you know, I, I won't because of your prayer, I won't. And God says, but hey, but because of this, uh, I'm not going to go with you on this journey. Uh, you, you know, I'll send my angel obtaining the promised land, but I'm not going personally because I might just wipe you out. Just, just irritate me. And, uh, and so Moses is like, oh, no, no, God, you got to go with us. And he's just like, if your presence doesn't go with us, catch this, what distinguishes me as your leader or this nation from all the nations of the world except your presence? He said, God, if if your presence doesn't go with us, I don't want to go. I'm out. And God answers his prayer, of course. And then Moses says, as long as we're talking about this, I've got a personal request. We've been working together about the last six months, but I kind of felt you kept me a little distance. I would love to see your face. God says, we can't really do that. It would burn you to a crisp. But here's what we can do. I'll let you see my back, kind of using anthropomorphic language. And here's what, it, what God says. He says, I will cause, I want you to pay attention, I will cause all my goodness to go before you. I want you to catch this. God defines himself, the sum total of his parts, if you will, all his characteristics. God defines himself in Exodus 33 as my goodness. 
He says, I will pass before you. But instead of saying, I will pass before you, he says, I will pass, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Are you with me? Uh, we're in the midst of a series, right? Genesis Chronicles. The opening chapter, God creates at the end of every day seven times. It is good. And most weeks as I start that series, as I set it up, what do I say? Hey, we're in the series. In Genesis, the first chapter, we've seen God introduces us. I mean, Moses introduces us to this God, and he is brilliant, and he is powerful, and he is creative, and he is personal, and he is generous, and he is beautiful, and he's absolutely what? Good. And why have I said that? I've said that because when God revealed himself to Moses, he said, this is my name. My name is goodness. There is nothing evil but in me. There is nothing bad in me. I will make all, I could never do you wrong, ever, because it's who I am. I'll make all my goodness. And the next day after God said that, God comes to Moses. He hides him in the cleft of the rock. He says, I will pass by. I'll cover you with my hand. And then after I go by, you'll see my back. And he said, I will proclaim my name, my character. And as he goes by, he says, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate God. And as he's describing himself, he says, abounding in love and mercy. This is who God is. And so it's no accident that that moment in time, that revelation of God to Moses, it becomes the most important God-defining moment of the entire Old Testament. Do you know that that passage in Exodus 33 and 34 is the most quoted passage of Scripture in the Old Testament of the Old Testament? This is what the nation of Israel goes back to time and time. God, you have defined yourself. You are good, and your love endures what? Over and over. This is no accident. This is no accident that here on this day, as they're praying for the presence of God to come and they begin to worship, it is no accident they said, hey, let's try this top 10 hit. It is no accident. This has been carefully chosen. This goes to the heart of who their God is, who Yahweh is, that, Lord, we worship you because you are good. You are absolutely good. You are completely good. There is not one evil thing in you. You cannot do wrong. It's not in your nature. You will always do us good, and your love endures forever. It will never stop, God. And here we are in the verge after seven years of this vision. You get put in the heart of David, and then we gave, and we bought in, and we became a part. And here we are now, and we're doing this procession, and we're bringing the tent of meeting, and we're bringing the ark of the covenant up, and we're coming into your tent, and we're praying for your presence. And God, this is what we say. You are good, and your love endures forever. Right? And so they're going crazy, and they're worshiping, and the trumpets are going, dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun, God's coming, you know, and, uh, and they're worshiping, and so it's, here's what happens. And so accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and other instruments, they raise their voices and praise to Yahweh, and they sang, he is good, his love endures forever, and then the temple of Yahweh was filled with a cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of Yahweh Fill the temple. Now catch this. Not the first time this happened. 
only happens a couple times in their history. It's the second time. You see, what happened when they came out of, of, of Egypt and God says, build the tent, I want to live with you, takes them about a year to build it according to his specs. And when they get done, Moses dedicates the tent of meeting. And we're told in Exodus 40 that God comes. And when God comes, the glory of the Lord and the cloud descends so that Moses can't go in. And do you catch what's going on here? It's like, what's going on here is there 400 years later, they're dedicating a new building. And what they're saying is, God, we got the building, but we don't have you. It's like, without you, this is just a building. So God, we need you to do what you did 400 years ago. We need you to come dwell with us. And men and women, we live in a different era. We no longer worship God in a building as a building. In the New Testament, it says that we, as the body of Christ, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that when the temple, when the cloud came that day, back in Exodus 40, over that tent of meeting, do you know that we're told there that from that point on, the cloud stayed over that tent of meeting? And we said that while Israel was in the wilderness, that when the cloud would raise and move, that's how the nation knew they were supposed to go. And when the cloud would stop, they would stop. It'd be a fire by night and a cloud by day. And so this was the presence of God coming to lead them and guide them in every step of the way. And it becomes a picture of our lives. When we come to Jesus and we, we come to him through this sacrifice for us, our sins are forgiven. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now God comes to dwell. He comes, he moves into our life. The cloud comes. And we gather together as the church of Jesus, the cloud comes. We come as we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we're told in the first Corinthians chapter three and in chapter six. And so what they're praying for is for God to come. And so God begins to come. And now Solomon gets up and he's gonna give his, his, his message to the people. And he gets up and he reminds them of this journey that they've been on. He says, seven years ago, my, my, God gave my dad a vision. And he gave him a vision for this place. And, I, and David shared the vision with you. And you gave. And I gave. And we all gave. And, and then we've worked hard. And we got the materials. And we, we recruited the builders. And we ordered the, the, the cedar. And we've, we've embroidered the curtains. And we've dug the foundations. And, and so it's, it's here. It's now. We're coming together. And so now we need God to come. And he begins to remind them of the journey. He says, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and I'm going to pray. And, and so Solomon begins to pray, and he begins to pray for this place, this new temple. And a lot of the prayers are exactly what you'd expect. He prays for things like, hey, God, when, when people are having a legal dispute, and one person's ripping off another, and they come to the temple to talk to the priest and to kind of sort it out, what's the justice thing? God, would you reveal who's right and who's wrong so that justice could be done in our land? And he says, and God, when times of disobedience, when we've been rebelling, and as a result, there's warfare in our land, and we're losing, would you come, God, and would you hear our prayers at this place? As we come, and we pour out our heart, and we repent, and we get right with you, would you hear those prayers and defend us from our enemies? Hey, and God, when, when we come in the future, and, and during time of natural disaster, like when there's no rain because of the sin of our nation, like Southern California, and, and, and we're coming to you and saying, God, would you forgive us and would you send this rain? He says, God, when there's, when there's inf uh, insect infestation, we don't have pesticides, God. We need you to protect us. Would you protect us? Hey, God, when there's time of, of epidemic disease hits the land 
and we have not been walking with you. We come to this place, and we ask you to heal us and to forgive us. Would you answer our prayers? What they're saying is, God, would this be a place we meet, where you speak, where you heal, where you lead, where you guide? This is a place, God. We want this to be a place where you come, and your name is on, and you reveal yourself. And so he's praying away, and it's just all these prayers you'd expect him to pray. And all of a sudden, he comes to this one that as you're reading through the Old Testament, you don't expect him to pray, and it's always riveted me. It's a prayer that has always captured my attention. It's a prayer looking forward to the future when Jesus would come. And it's there in your, in your Bibles in chapter 6 and verse 32. So let's jump ahead. So we're in the middle of the section of prayer where he's praying for all these things you'd expect him to pray for. And, and now he begins to pray. Let me just set it up. He begins to pray for people who don't know God, who are going to come to Israel in search of God. You know, Israel's surrounded by pagan nations. The whole world was pagan at that point. Right? There's gods like Dagon or gods like Molech or gods like Chemosh. If you worship Molech when you have your firstborn son, you're going to take him to the priests and they're going to, they're going to burn him alive in the fire so that, so that this God will bless the rest of your family. Right? The ancient world, was the only place in the world where the real God was manifesting was in Israel. And so Solomon says, hey, God, I know the word's going to get out that you're here with us. I know that. I know that people are going to hear about your name and your fame, your reputation. They're going to hear about your mighty works and all you're doing. And there's going to be some people who are going to come from great distances just in search of God. They're hungry for God. And they're going to come to this place to meet you, this temple. And God, when that happens and when they come and when they ask you for something, would you answer their prayers? Because I want them to know that you are the true God. And I want them to go home and tell their friends and their nation about the true God. That this place would be not just a place where your presence is manifested, this would be a place where your name is proclaimed. And so let's see what he says. He says in verse 32, As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land, catch that, a distant land, they're far from God, because of your great name, your reputation, and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, all these things that you're doing. And when he comes and prays towards his temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. See, Solomon knows that though God manifests in a temple or the ark, he doesn't live there. He lives in an alternate realm, heaven. And then, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks you. Why? So that all the peoples on earth may know your name. And they may fear you, which is a biblical way of saying know you, love you, and follow you, as do your own people, Israel, and they may know, secondly, that this house I have built bears your name. He's like, God, I, I'm asking for two things. When they come, answer their prayer, reveal yourself to them, so that number one, they know that you're real and that you're the true God, and number two, that they know that if they want to find you, this is where they need to come, that this, this place is truly representing you. The word, the prophets, the law of Moses, that, that you're being revealed in this place, and then he goes on for the rest of his prayer, goes back to praying for some other things we expect him to pray for. And then when you get to chapter 7, let's go to the, the end of the story in chapter 7. When we get to verse 1, it says, when Solomon finished praying, fire comes down from heaven. Now that is cool. I'm just a little concerned for you sitting in the middle here today. <laughs> 
I'm thinking that might be where it happened. Um, fire comes down from heaven, and it consumes this burnt offering. Remember, they're outside offering this, uh, kind of dedicating the altar. God, would you come? God, would you hear our prayer? This is God's way of saying, yep, got that. <laughs> Heard that one. And once again, the glory of Yahweh fills the temple again, and the priests can't enter the temple of Yahweh because the glory of the Lord fills it. And, and so when the people, uh, Israelites, they see the fire coming down, they see the glory of Yahweh above the temple, the cloud, and they're just going face down. They kneel before the, on, on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they just begin to worship, and they give thanks to Yahweh. And what do they begin to pray? They begin singing uh, what, the, what the leaders had been singing, this top 10 hit, He is good. His love endures what? Forever. He is good. And they just kept singing over and over again. So many people say, oh, the music today is too repetitive. Just be thankful you didn't live in Israel. Right? <laughs> Got a whole song. He is good. He is good. And his love endures forever. And it's the whole thing. Right? And so they begin to worship. And God comes. And so, and so this story goes. This seven-year journey of the nation of Israel where God comes he puts it in the heart of his leader to build this place for God, space for God, where they can meet him and where his name can be known. And, and he shares the vision, and people catch the vision, and they all give generously, and they begin to work hard, and they plan, and they scheme, and they dig footings, and they embroider curtains, and they build cherubim, and they create this beautiful place but it's all about the God who will come. And, and so they create this space, and then they say, okay, God, now we have done our parts. You need to do what only you can do. You need to move in. You need to come and dwell. You need to lead and guide every step of the way. And God, our prayer is that this will be a place where your presence is manifested and a place where your name is known. And men and women, that's why we're here today. That everything that has happened to this point in the service is leading up to what's about to happen. See, what, what, what's happening today, it's much like a wedding service. Have you ever been to a wedding? You know, there's a lot of different elements, right? There's music, and there are, uh, there's usually a story about how the couple met, and there may be some teaching from the pastor on marriage. There's a lot of different elements, right? But the most important moment is the moment of the vows, you, you can do a wedding without music. You can do a wedding without stories. You can do a wedding without a message. You can't do a wedding without vows. Because vows are where the people come together and they say, I give you my life for now and always, and I will be yours. And that's the heart of a wedding. And today, we've talked about weddings. We've talked about Mount Sinai. We've talked about God coming and saying, I will be your God. You will be my people. The people saying, I do. And they enter into relationship. And what we're going to be doing now is we're going to be coming before the Lord as a church, the church at Rocky Peak, and we're going to be giving him ourselves. And we're going to be saying, I do. And we're going to be asking God, God, in the name of Jesus, as we stand before you, we want to ask you to fill this place with your presence. We want to pray that every week when we gather in the name of Jesus that you will come, that we have no interest in playing church at Rocky Peak. We have no interest in going through the motions. God, either you're real or you're not real. And if you're real, you deserve everything. And if you're not real, you deserve nothing. There is no middle ground. And so, God, we come today and we give ourselves to you and we ask you 
to meet us here consistently every time we come. We ask you to reveal your presence. We ask you to heal us. We ask you to lead us. We ask you to speak to us. We ask you to rebuke us and discipline us when we're out of line. We pray that you'd be our teacher, you'd be our shepherd, you'd be our guide. We pray you'd be a father, you would father us as a church. When we're out of line, you would tell us. Where the vision is off mark, you would adjust it. Just like in the churches of, of Revelation, the seven churches, where Jesus would come and have a message to each church. Here's where you got it right, here's where you got it wrong. And would you come, would you shepherd us? God, we want this place to be a place when we walk in, we want to be at the place of your presence. And God, we want when non-believers who don't know you yet, who come from far and distant lands because they've heard something's going on here, we want when they come in, we want the presence to be thick in this place. We want them to sense your presence as they come to the door. They may not be able to name it. They may not be able to describe it. They may not have ever experienced it, but something happens when they come to this place and that at this place, Jesus is going to be revealed as the true God. And all other gods will be revealed as false gods. And in this place, we, they will meet you, and they will be transformed, and they will be forgiven, and they'll be filled with your spirit, and they'll be changed, and they will go out a different person, and they will join us in this journey to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers. Hmm. And so that's what we're here to do today. We're here to ask God as a church for those two things, for the presence and for the proclamation. That's what we're here. That's what this whole service is about. Everything else is bells and whistles. Everything else is set up for what we're about to do right now. And here's what I tell you. In just a couple minutes, we're going to stand up and we're going to go before the Lord as a church of Rocky Peak, and we are going to go on record with the courts of heaven. And we are going to go on record and say, Jesus, God our Father, Holy Spirit, we stand before you as your church. We are called by your name. We are all about you and your fame. We want you to be made large. We want the world to see you. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to walk with you. We want to experience your presence. We want to be transformed. We want to come under your leadership and do what only you can do. And so, Jesus, we come as a church of Rocky Peak. And we are officially going on record with the courts of heaven, submitting our requests. Amen. And then I want you to catch this, that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, you may not remember this day, you may not remember what happened on this day, but can I tell you, it doesn't matter, because I don't care if you remember, I care if he remembers. Can I tell you something? When we go before God as a church in the name of Jesus and we put an official request, that request will never be forgotten throughout history. God does not forget. And we're going to go today and we're going to go into worship right now. And what's going to happen is we go into worship. I've asked four people that I love and that are prayer warriors to lead us in prayer today. And around this auditorium, they will stand up at appropriate times and lead us in prayer. And what I'm asking is you pray with them that this is our time, this is our church, this exists for his name, and we're going before him now in the name of Jesus to ask him for his presence and for the proclamation. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Let's stand up. We come in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for his life, his death, and resurrection that transforms us. We thank you that we are in Christ, and that in Christ we are more than conquerors. 
We thank you for Jesus and through his life and his death and resurrection, we've been forgiven, that we have received the gift of your spirit, that your Holy Spirit resides in us and that we are the temple of God. And now we come in this place in this time, God, we say right here and right now, we want to give you this place and we're praying for your presence and we're praying for the proclamation. Every week that we come, every time we meet, you will meet, you will speak, you will heal, you will guide, you encourage, you will rebuke, you will challenge, you will transform, you will disciple us. And God, we pray that hundreds and thousands of people in the coming years would come to know Jesus and have their life transformed because we are here as your temple. And so God, we pray now that you would unleash a new hunger and thirst a hunger and thirst for you and your presence and a hunger and thirst for the lost. And we come as your church in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Father, I just want to start first by proclaiming who you are. You are the creator of heaven and earth. You're the only true and living God. You're the God of provision. You're the God of mercy. You're the God of faithfulness. You're the God of salvation. Lord, you are that God. Secondly, Lord, I just ask that you would bring the lost, the hurting, the brokenhearted, the tormented, the physically, people with physical ailments, Lord God, that you would bring them here, Lord God, that they may find rest. Father, thirdly, I just pray that we would follow after the parable of the Good Samaritan, how the Good Samaritan took the time. He cared. He restored. He shared his resources. He did above and beyond to minister to his neighbor. Father, that you would increase our heart and our capacity to love our neighbor. Fourthly, Father, I just ask for the spiritual gifts that you would expand and deepen each one of us in those areas, Lord, and that we be open to whatever you want to bestow on us, Father. And lastly, Father, I pray for a greater outpouring of your spirit, Lord, for the sole reason to carry out your purposes and your vision for Rocky Peak. Amen. Lord Jesus, I say I do for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, I say, I do. You are so good, and I thank you for your goodness, Lord. I pray, Father, for more of your presence, that you would captivate our hearts with your love. That as we abide in your presence, Lord, we would move out so that others would taste and see your goodness in us. Father, we thank you that you are God of love, of grace, of kindness, and compassion. I pray in increasing measure you would fill us with this to overflow so that others would be drawn through your kindness in each one of us, Lord. We love you. We honor you. And when it's our desire that in all that we do, we would glorify you. And it's in the precious name of Jesus, the name above all names, our Messiah, we ask this. Amen. God, we are your people 
and you are our God. We submit ourselves to you, God. We submit ourselves to your leadership. And God, as you are doing a new thing here, would we know, would we remember that this is not about a building? This isn't about us. This is about you, Jesus. This is about your mission, about your kingdom, for your glory, for your name, God. And Lord, we, we are hungry and thirsty for your presence. We want you and we want you alone. Would we not want the things of this world? And as people come here, God, as they are seeking the things of this world, would they experience your glory? Would they experience your presence? And as they experience you, would they submit themselves to you? Would they turn from their idols and come to worship the one true and only living God? It's you, God, we worship. It's you we worship with our lives. It's you we worship with our words, our actions. Would your presence fill this place continually as it did for those Israelites in the temple? And will people experience you in new ways? And would this be for your kingdom, for your mission, Lord? And bring those hundreds, bring those thousands, Lord, because the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe, and we want to sow and reap that harvest, God. And we know that you will do it using us, God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Father God, we acknowledge that you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are the first and the last. Father God, we come before you, and this is your place. This building is empty without your spirit and your power, Father. As the body of believers, the new temple, Father, we ask that you come into our presence when we come here to pursue you, Father, that you would let your fire fall, that there would be a mighty windfall of your spirit in this place every single worship time, Father, that our hearts would be bent to your hearts, that we would desire more of you and less of us, Father, that you would overwhelm us with your spirit, that you would rain down on this place, that you would have your way, that your cloud would hover here. Lord Jesus, there's nothing more that we desire than your presence. Lord, show us how to live for you. Break us. Humble us. Help us to be men and women and children who pursue you with a great passion and a fervor. Lord Jesus, draw your people from these valleys. Lord, draw them like bees to a honeycomb. Lord Jesus, draw them and help this to be a place of great comfort and warmth, a, great, a place of nourishment, Father. Our greatest desire is that this would be a place where they can meet you, that they can sit in your presence that they can be loved by you and overwhelmed by you and experience your goodness. Lord Jesus, you are good. And we want your goodness all the time. And we want everyone who doesn't know you to know your goodness, Father. We love you and we praise you in your mighty name. Amen. Oh God, that's our prayer. May your kingdom come and your will be done as we serve your name. And God, we are nothing without you. You are the vine and we are the branches. Without you, we can do nothing. In you is, is life, and that life is the light of the world. And apart from you, there is no life. You are our creator. You are a sustainer. You're the beginning and the end and everything in between. God, we live off of you. You said, if any man eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he will have real life. We live off of you, Jesus.
You are our life. You're our creator and our sustainer, and we live off of you. And so we come on this day, Lord, and we give you this place. Our requests are simple, but they're profound. We pray for your presence. We pray for the proclamation. We pray that we will experience you deeper. We pray you'll move us to follow you all the days of our life, like you said in Ezekiel 36. You may bless us and our children all the days of our life. We pray that you put your spirit upon us, guide us every step of the way. And the word we get out, that if there's a place you want to know God, it's a great place to start. Because there's something going on here. It's not about us. It's about you. And that here you're meeting with your people. And here your mighty arm is being revealed. Here your name is being lifted up. And so, God, we pray. We pray as your people, simple prayers. That this day in the courts of heaven, you would record the requests of your people here on earth, Rocky Peak, that you would listen and you would answer. And though we may forget We may forget specifically what we ask. We know that you never will. That you never forget one prayer. And we pray that you would work to answer those prayers, both for now and eternity. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen, Amen, Amen. Rocky (laughs) Pete. What a day. Well, a couple things to share as we wrap up today. Number one is that uh, we have a prayer team that is here every service after every service for prayer. Maybe you don't know Jesus and you want to explore that. Maybe there's just a need in your life. You can either share it or not share it, but just kind of go over and say, I need some prayer. So over to my right against the wall, there's a prayer team. They'd love to pray with you every week. Sometimes they'll say it, sometimes they don't, but it's always there. Secondly, I hope you can be back next week. We're going to continue the series that we've been in, the Genesis Chronicles. Next week, topic on the table is temptation. And I'm sure none of you deal with that. But you, you probably know someone who does. And so uh, you may want to come and take notes for them or invite them. But uh, we'll continue that journey. And finally, I, I need to share something with you that happened last night during the Saturday night service right at the end. Something I wasn't planning to do, but I just felt like God clearly put in my heart. It was during the last worship song, when we just sang. And I felt like he was reminding me of that scripture that says, give honor to whom honor is due. And you know, there's been so many people that, have been amazing in this project. So many of you have given so generously. Thank you for doing that. I ask you to continue to do that. Fulfill those commitments because we've spent your money. Um, and so I want to thank you for being so faithful as a church. Um, there have been so many people behind the scenes, you know, um, our tech teams, um, our campus care teams, uh, Brenda Campbell, been amazing. Rennie Bolier from our elder board, architect, just been, just so, served so sacrificially. You'll never know. But there's, there's one person that without this, without his vision, um, without God bringing to him at this time, none of this would be here. And I'm not making that up. I, I believe God raises up people for certain seasons. That I believe this, that our team here at Rocky Peak, it's, it's not here by accident. We've all been called for such a time as this. And the guy that, that God brought for this, without this, none of this would be happening today. This whole beautiful place you see is J.D. Cunningham. And,
And I'm not kidding, and I'm not exaggerating. Um, the guy's amazingly gifted, and it was his vision for this place. Um, and a lot of you don't know this, but JD, for the last two years, has been suffering from extreme pain. And it wasn't until about a year ago they diagnosed it as an unusual form of pancreatitis. And he will literally, I'm not exaggerating, every two to three weeks, go through an episode of pain that cripples him. He'll be on the bathroom floor, undilated, the highest pain medication, dosed up several times in fetal position, the pain is that bad. Uh, many times he's had to go to the hospital. Many times he's had to go to ER. It just happened about a week ago. I was just praying, God, don't let it happen this weekend. <laughs> I want him to experience this, the fruit of his labor. And uh, the thing is, every time he gets out of the hospital or whatever, the next day he's, he's here. He's back on, middle of the night, talking to East Coast people. They're help part of this thing. He's been amazing. And uh, none of this would have happened without him. And uh, I counted a tremendous privilege, not only to serve on the same team as JD, but to call him my friend. And uh, he's a friend to all of us, you know, and his passion. I didn't say this to other services, but this is the last one, so what the heck. Um, <laughs> you know, his passion for this place, and it's, it's attention to detail and every fiber and every piece of wood and every layout and every seat and every chair. And it's not about the place because JD's passion is that nothing gets in the way of experiencing God. That there's not one thing that's distracting or pulls away or makes it harder. And that's his passion as a worship leader. And that's his passion as ours. And so you've wondered some of you the last couple of years, why has JD not been on stage more? Well, it's because he's been the leader of this whole project. And it's because many, many times, you know, it's probably been in the last six months, probably 20 times he's had a major attack. In December, he's going in for surgery. And we're going to be praying for him then. I'll keep you up to speed on that. They finally figured it out. It's a very serious in surgery. And we're going to be praying for him as a church. But on this day, I didn't want this to pass. Because, you know, as a lead pastor, you get credit for lots of things. So many people come up, Mike, we love it. Thanks. But I got to tell you, this would not be like this without JD. Amen. It's not, be a, not even a shadow. God has used JD to transform this church in so many ways, outside and inside, the heart of worship that's growing here as a church. And uh, I just want to publicly say that I love this man, and uh, it's one of the greatest privileges of my life to work with him. And I want you to be praying for him the next few weeks as we go into this. So as we go out today, here's my prayer for you. Prayer for you. I, want to, I want to pray the prayer and the blessing of the presence and the proclamation. May God so fill your life with his presence. May he give you a new hunger for the presence of God. Like David said, one thing I have asked of the Lord, and this is what I'll seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold his glory. My prayer for you is that there be a new hunger for the presence of God that extinguishes and quenches all other hungers, that more than anything else, your driving passion in life comes to know him and to please him and to love him. 
that you'd experience him leading you, guiding, speaking, empowering in new ways you never have before. And that as a result, your life is transformed and your life becomes a case study, a showcase for Jesus Christ, for his reality and what he can do in a life that's surrendered. And so may you know the presence and may you know the proclamation and we'll get back together next week to get on with this journey of changing the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you.